As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It is Tuesday, January 19th. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. On this episode, we begin our position preview series. We will start at the catcher position, even though the very best player at that position doesn't have a team yet. Uh, We had a three-way trade involving the Pirates, Padres, and Mets. Joe Musgrove uh, among the players on the move in that deal. And we have a firing, Jared Porter, the general manager of the Mets was fired by the team on Tuesday morning. Uh, you know, we're going to start there. It's a heavy story. It is something that as you as you read the different pieces that come out, anytime there's an incident in which there is sexual harassment, which is what happened here, uh, Jared Porter was sending lewd texts, unsolicited texts to a female reporter. Uh, this is several years ago. This is back in 2016. And you start to realize that this is common. This happens a lot. This is something that is way too normal. It is something that our female colleagues are subjected to often. And it makes your blood boil. It makes you feel frustrated and angry. And I think the thing I've thought about the most since this story broke, Mina Kimes and Jeff Passan of ESPN broke the story uh, late Monday night, I keep thinking about how Porter's victim, her life changed. She's no longer a journalist. She no longer lives in America. She returned to her home country. Part of the reason she was afraid to come forward was possible retribution, not only from people through work, but also in her home country as well. And it's just one of the most troubling stories we've had in baseball, and it's really, unfortunately, it's the tip of the iceberg in baseball and society in general. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, really upsetting, and um, you know, it's uh, it's something that's uh, it's important to me, and I've I've tried um, to to support uh, the women in baseball because it's. Um, it's not not just women. It's uh, people of color. It's uh, you know non-binary people. There's there's a lot of people that uh, that baseball leaves behind at times. But just by being a kind of conservative behemoth by itself, and I don't mean conservative versus liberal. I mean sort of it is a sport that tries to conserve itself. It's trying it's trying to you know harken back to days of yore, and sometimes that includes you know the negative things that used to happen. Um, and it's such an institution that protects itself even as it goes forward that, you know, this sort of thing is, is in there and, and, and it takes activity. It takes something to, it takes energy to do something about it. Um, I'm glad that the Mets, uh, fired him the next morning. Um, I'm, I'm not glad that, uh, certain details, um, you know, regarding this matter were put forward by Sandy Olson in the, uh, press conference today. You know, this person does not need more attention. Um, she, she just needed to, to tell the story. 
Um, and, you know, personally, uh, I think of a couple things. I think of all the women I've seen uh, being harassed by players and, and, and front office people and, um, you know, how very hard it is to do something in a moment. And sometimes you don't even realize, sometimes harassment is, you don't even realize it until you've kind of walked 10 feet away and you kind of, you turn around and be like, what was that? that I just heard, you know, um, I just, I try to let people know that I'm not going to be part of conversations like that. I'm not going to objectify people that way. I'm not going to talk about people that way in my conversations with front office people. Uh, but sometimes it takes a little bit more energy. Sometimes it takes a little bit more, um, proactiveness than that. And, you know, this comes back a little bit to, um, you know, Jonah Carey came out and there was all this information about Jonah Carey's past that, people didn't know. And I think I, along with a lot of the other people were, were surprised by the revelations, uh, about him and, and the violence in his home and what he'd done. And I talked to some colleagues at the winter meetings at one point and said, did you like, did you see this coming? Like what, what? And it turned out that yes, some people saw it coming. And so I, I since then I, have tried to, if I have any sort of thoughts about someone or I'm worried at all, um, reach out and, and just talk to other people, get different perspectives on them and not fall into a situation where, I mean, I am not hiring Jared Porter, but not, you know, like maybe the Mets should have had this conversation. Maybe, maybe that person, when you're checking on someone's background, maybe there was someone, maybe you check with someone who's not just like another white dude that's worked with him. You know, mm-hmm. maybe check around, check with, maybe check with journalists, you know, maybe check, you know, check, check with, you know, this story was out there for a long time. And we the, somehow the, the background check failed to, to, to spot it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that means there's a failure in background checks. There's a means of the failure in the, in the questions we ask and the people we talk to when we, when we, when we sort of talk about uh, another person's character. So yes, judging character is really difficult and it, there's all these personal interactions bouncing around, but the best way to do it is to reach out to a larger group of people, a more diverse group of people and get, uh, you know, get a sense of how they treat people who are beneath them in power structures. I mean, that's why this is so ugly. This person was obviously felt, you know, that they, that their position in America and as a sports writer was on the line. Or she would have said something earlier, mm-hmm. uh, and it, and the proof uh, the proof of that is she no longer writes about sports, and she's no longer in this country. I think she was right in the end. I think the tweet that stands out to me right now: uh, there was a press conference on Tuesday afternoon. Sandy Alderson spoke to the media. Hannah Kaiser, a great writer at Yahoo, uh, asked if they consulted any women in the process of getting character background information on Jared Porter? And the answer, of course, was no. That's a huge part of the problem. A huge part of the problem. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm glad the Mets took swift action. I think you can sit back and ask, yeah, should they have caught this? Should they have known this? Maybe, probably. I I don't know for sure. But it's it's just one of those things that you, you you think you understand how bad it is and every time you hear another story, you realize it's even worse than you could have imagined. I just, I think all we can do is just listen to women, listen to them, listen to their stories, read their stories, and, and speak and reach up out to listen. Yes, you know, no, not depend on them to say it. You know, just reach out and and hear. You know, right. And I think there is a challenge on anybody. We cannot let this stand. We cannot let these types of systemic abuses of power, which we can't let that go by unchecked. Like that's, that's something that all of us need to do better. Yeah. It's a disappointing, disappointing moment. Also and disappointing because it's not as, not as surprising as it should be. No. And I think that's, that's the feeling you get as you look at the reaction here on Tuesday is that every woman in sports has a story like this. Moving on, because there's frankly no, it's never an easy way to do this. The news prior to that that was at the top of the rundown uh, was a trade. Joe Musgrove goes to San Diego. 
Joey Lucchese goes to the Mets. Hudson Head, Omar Cruz, David Bednar, Drake Fellow, Indy Rodriguez, five prospects in total all go to the Pirates. Uh, what I saw there was just a immediate reaction that Denelson Lamette is hurt, which is not true. I mean, obviously he had an injury problem at the end of the season, uh, but clearly the Padres are stockpiling more and more arms. <laughs> They've been very aggressive this offseason, driving pretty much all of the activity on the trade front. It feels like all of the activity to this point. And with Musgrove, you know, I think there's a pretty simple relationship between how effective he is and when he gets up into that max velocity range. Yeah, yeah. His velocity chart is kind of all over the place because, you know, he's also had some role changes. Um, you know, he's he's been a reliever at times and he's been a starter. Um, but if you look at 2019 in the second half, um, he pretty much uh, was sitting 94 and that's where you see the bump in strikeout rate. That's when he started striking out uh, almost 10 per nine. Um, and pairing that with, uh, you know, a two, two walks per nine, that's, that's great underlying stuff. He also gave up a few homers and had a four, eight, four ERA in that same stretch. Um, maybe you take out the one bad eight run, uh, Mets thing and it looks better, but that, that thing happened, you know, that eight run experience happened. So I, I think when I look at him, I see basically slightly above average stuff and slightly, and that basically average command and a guy who, does better at the higher velocities, but also is on the field less at the higher velocities. (laughs) As pretty much when he started sitting 94 is when we started getting some, uh, some DL stints. And that, that's, that goes along with the data that if you, the the closer you throw to your maximum velo, uh, the more stress you're putting on your arms. So um, any case for, for the Padres, it made sense to do this because I kept them out of the number one rotation in baseball because of their injury risk. Now they have pushed everybody in the back in that rotation down one. They're talking about maybe doing a six man rotation and maybe they have the depth to do it now. Um, and, um, you know, I, I think this was a great deal for them. I don't think that they gave up uh, much. I can't believe they got value for Joey Lucchese. Joey Lucchese has been always a bottom 10 guy when it comes to command stuff. It's like only deception. Um, and I think his time was running out. So maybe maybe he'll do better in New York if they haven't seen him in a year and a half. But uh, I, in terms of long-term value, I don't think Lucchese has much. Um, so anyway, uh, Musgrove, pretty good pitcher, I think getting too much hype and um, will appear somewhere in sort of the back end of the top 60 for me. I did a a slow draft Sunday into Monday, a 50 round draft and hold league. We flew through it pretty fast. And with Joe Musgrove and the way pitching is set up as a whole, I, I can't even give you a a true estimate of where his ceiling might be come March. I, I think there are pitchers who go in the fifth, sixth, seventh round that, ordinarily wouldn't be there because everybody is just so turned around by the shortened season. Um, The schedule being wonky is one of those things I keep coming back to. The NL Central only facing NL Central and AL Central teams, I think, had a a pretty big impact on on some final results, especially. So I'm just trying to come up with a, a better pitching strategy. We'll probably talk about that when we get to our starting pitcher preview a few episodes from now. Uh, but I do think the return the Pirates got overall was pretty good. I think getting quantity when you're a rebuilding team can work. Uh, Hudson Head is an interesting prospect. I think there is one more guy that is in that trade that might actually have a, a path to a short-term opportunity just because of the way this rotation is now built, and that's David Bednar. I think he's one of those guys that the underlying numbers in the minors in the upper levels uh, were actually pretty good. That's a bullpen that actually has some opportunities. I see him kind of fitting in more as a reliever, but it's like who's closing there if it's not Richard Rodriguez it's a wide open battle for those opportunities and even Rodriguez you know as good as he's been the last couple of years isn't the kind of guy that has a great hold on that role yeah my pick is probably Kyle Crick uh getting it together but Felice is interesting uh Bednar yeah, Mednark. I mean, it, it is one of those things where you know who's 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 performing now. But um, you know, with a three pitch mix like he has, 
it wouldn't also be crazy for the Pirates to consider stretching him out. I mean, he hasn't done it in forever, um, but uh, they could say they're doing it uh, to work, uh, to have him do like the two or three inning stints in the middle. Um, and, and they might see value out of him there. Um, he's not your just a traditional two-pitch fastball slider guy. He's got the split finger. He's got excellent strikeout rates in the minors. So whether it's in the bullpen or not, I think it's a sort of stick the name in your back pocket and remember it rather than I can't imagine. I, mean, I don't even know if I'd pick him up in my 20-team dynasty um, unless it was one of my last picks. Uh, but definitely he's joining a team that needs pitching. Um, a name that that I like in that Pirates rotation. I think he's probably uh, you know uh, set in that rotation is Chad Cool. Um, I keep waiting for you know one tweak. And last year, one of the tweaks I'd been waiting for was to throw the slider nearly forty percent of the time. Uh, but all it did was torpedo his walk rate. So I'm not sure. Uh, if he'll be ever better than like a four-two-five ERA guy, but I keep waiting for it because the, the stuff is pretty interesting. That's the trade. I, I don't see a whole lot for Lucchese with the Mets. I think he's more of a glue guy in the back of the rotation, probably more of a long reliever once everybody's healthy or if everybody's healthy in their typical uh, starting five. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Uh, but let's get to the start of our catcher preview, and it's top-heavy position. It's often a top-heavy position, and yet again, it is led by JT Realmuto. He's going inside the top 35 overall when you look at NFBC ADP uh, since January 1st. We don't know where he's going to play yet. I, I think there's a pretty good chance that he ends up returning to Philadelphia and you know, reaping the benefits of a very hitter-friendly environment and being in a, a good Phillies lineup, and that's a great outcome if that happens. I'm trying to think if there's actually a team that has been linked to Real Muto where his value would fall considerably. I mean, part of what makes him appealing is that the position as a whole is a mess. There are a lot of workhorses behind the plate, and most catchers are going to hurt you at least in one category, if not in multiple categories, whereas Real Muto can be uh, at least useful in all five categories and actually very good in about four of them. Yeah, it's a, it's it's an amazing position because there's actually there's a cool thing you can do on the uh, Fangraphs auction calculator, which is that if you download it, uh, there's a there's a header called points PTS, and that does not have a positional value in it. It just has basically what that collection of average RBI runs stolen base. What that is would be add up to. There's only one catcher who has positive value in points without the positional adjustment added to it. JT Ormuto, if there was nothing, if there was, if he was not a catcher, would be worth two points, $2. Now, every position has uh, an addition. So, um, you know, the first one, the first base one is like $10. So you could say that, you know, Real Muto is worth $12 um, as a first baseman. But, He's the only guy. <laughs> He's the only guy. Everybody else is a minus. Is a minus. And and it does. It do, you only have to get to Gary Sanchez. Uh, no, Will Smith. You only have to get to Will Smith, which is ranked. Who's ranked seventh by the um, auction calculator, to get to a, a a catcher that's a negative in all facets of the game of the fantasy game. A negative in all facets. It's just. It's ridiculous. The uh, real Mudo value in that points. Uh, metric if you just sort everybody by that he's the 70th ranked hitter 
yeah. <laughs> it just gives you an idea of where he compares everybody else. If everybody just played the same position, you weren't worried about scarcity behind the plate, uh, that'd give you a better idea of, of where his production would be valued. So uh, I, I, I really don't see a place that is likely to get him where I would have significantly lower expectations for his value. But most parks that he would end up in if he leaves Philadelphia are not going to be quite as hitter friendly, at least in terms of how they boost home runs. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I should say that, you know, when we were talking about the auction calculator here, I'm using the bat X uh, Derek Cardi's uh, pro- projection system. The reason I'm using that is that I think that a sh- one, the bat has been shown to be uh, in a couple different approaches to be the best uh, single uh, projection system out there. Uh, even, uh, Ariel Cohen's recent, most recent look where, you know, he runs ATC, which is another good projection system. Uh, the bat one out and also the bat X uses more stat cast data, which I think is going to be more important coming off a short season, uh, than ever. So I think the bat X will separate itself from a lot of the other ones, even more than it has to date. Um, then, uh, you know, Unreal Muto, um, you know, we, we were hoping maybe for uh, a slight, uh, a bigger boost when he went to Philadelphia. So maybe he's just like a 280, uh, 20 homer hitter, no matter where he goes. Uh, there are definitely s- some pieces of evidence out there that we overvalue park, park factors. Um, you, you look at his last season in Miami, he had a 208 ISO, and then he went to the Phillies and had a 217 and 225. You kind of expected a bigger, a bigger boost there, but um, in any case, uh, I think he's a valuable player that I may not own a single share of. I just don't know that he'll steal ten bases next year. Um, and you're talking about the seventieth best player that I have to now buy at thirty uh, if I want to get him, thirty-five to get him. I just I don't like that math. the The only caveat I have is in two catcher leagues, I do try to get a top half catcher at some point because I really there's nothing worse in two catcher leagues than uh, being like, well, I've got Max Stassi and Ryan Jeffers. I'm ready to go. Um, <laughs> there's been some research of that, about that, too, which is that the one dollar catcher in only leagues is the worst investment in fantasy sports. I believe it. You didn't spend much. But you're going to get even less. <laughs> right. Yeah. You're not going to get enough playing time. You're going to get a big old minus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're going to fall behind in that position slot because you waited too long to address it. I mean, if you're in a, a one-catcher league, even if it's a 10-team league, there are plenty of interesting options to go around. If it's 12 teams, I would say that still holds true. There's a pretty big oh, drop-off yeah. around like 15 maybe 16, 17 at the position. That's where it really falls apart, as we'll we'll get to in a little bit. But you kind of have this Real Mudo in his own tier. Sal Perez, I can't recall a year. If I'm wrong about this, hit us up, let us know. I can't recall a year where he has been priced up this high. I know he is what we call a metronome player, where you know you're likely to get very good power and run production. He's probably not going to help you in batting average. But you're not worried about playing time really there either. And even as you go through the rest of the top six, a guy like Will Smith, who's just inside the top 100, uh, Wilson Contreras, Yasmani Grandal, Travis Darno, I would say Contreras and Grandal don't really have major playing time concerns, especially with James McCann moving on as a free agent, not having him there. Probably puts a pretty nice workload on Grandal. Uh, Contreras doesn't have Victor Caratini to share with anymore uh, on the north side of Chicago, so I think his playing time looks really good. It's more comparable to Sal Perez, but even Will Smith, who I like as a player, I think he could yield more playing time than expected to a backup because they've got another prospect catcher in Kiebert Ruiz, who's basically big league ready. On a lot of other teams, Kiebert Ruiz might be the primary option behind the plate, and part of the Dodgers' depth might just be using Ruiz where they've previously used Austin Barnes and using Ruiz more than they've used Austin Barnes the last couple of seasons. Yeah, and I did some work on another player that I think is uh, secretly less uh, of a sure thing than people might realize. Gary Sanchez is right there, and yes, he hits the ball hard, but I did some work um, for a piece with Lindsey Adler where I showed that because he is so slow and he's one of like the 10 slowest players in baseball— 
the third baseman plays him further back than almost anybody else in baseball, and that steals doubles even. That steals hits, but it steals doubles. And also, yes, he hits the ball hard, but in terms of like you know, a hit tool where you kind of you hit it in the good angles all the time. He's not really there. He's a guy who will sky a bunch of pop-ups. He hits way too many over 40 degrees uh, to to be uh, someone that you'd even count on for like a 280 BABIP. So between the slowness and the pop-ups, you're talking about like a 250 BABIP. That's why he's going to hit 220 every year. And then you throw in on top of that this sort of um, real life, like what? how do the Yankees value him? Well, the Yankees... You know, we're talking the the, the 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 scuttlebutt around the Yankees was that he might get released, like he might get DFA'd. He wouldn't get paid, you know, whatever he was going to get paid this year. So um, I don't think I will be having a lot of shares of Gary Sanchez. Then you have Travis Darno, who, you know, has had some healthy years where he's excellent. Um, but and, and health is not as much of a skill uh, for hitters as it is for pitchers. But, you know, the next time he uh, has more than 400 plate appearances will be the first time uh, since 2014. So I don't think that uh, you can really count on him from a health-wise. So I'm telling you, man, if you're in a 10, 12, I think even a 15-team one-catcher league, punt the position. That's what I would say to you. Punt the the position. Hmm. I think for for me, I'm looking at... Contreras and Grandal around pick 125, 130 as the sweet spot. I'm comfortable drafting both of those guys where they're going. I think they bring a solid floor with playing time and enough ceiling where I can justify going after them at the price. I think Darno, for the reasons you mentioned, even though the stat cast numbers look good, even though his opportunity to have a very prominent spot in the Braves lineup is something I believe in at this point, and it's a really strong lineup top to bottom, so the counting stats should be good anyway. Mm-hmm. I'm just too skeptical of usage to pay the premium for him coming off of a great shortened season. You start to get past that group and you run into Christian Vasquez, Dalton Varsho, who we've talked a lot about over the last few months in this show. Varsho's the people sleeper at the position. He's eighth by ADP. He has some power. He has speed. (laughs) He might not be a full-time catcher because they've got Carson Kelly. That drives up the playing time potential. If they defensively feel good with him in the outfield, I understand the appeal. Believe me, I've said this before. I don't want to be the guy that is anti-Dalton Varsho. I like Dalton Varsho. But that's a steep price to pay for someone who actually has a pretty uncertain hold on his playing time right now, even though there are lots of tools to get excited about. Yeah. um, You know, do I cite his barrel rate with 68 batted balls? It's... uh... He had three of them. <laughs> Seems a little aggressive to to say much about him um, in the in the, the look that we've had, but um, I think I might rather get Kirk Alejandro Kirk, the uh, Blue Jays catcher, in that spot. Uh, because he hit one barrel in 20 batted balls. No, uh, because, <laughs> <laughs> because um, I think he's cheaper. And I think his upside, other than in the steals category, um, is probably comparable in some ways. I think uh, batting average and power-wise, he can he can bang with Varsho. Bar so um, I'm just always looking to get cheaper at the position, as you can tell. I'm just punt, 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 punt. I agree with you that Contreras and Grandal are interesting, and they don't have the same premium as Real Muto and Perez. And so that is where, in a two-catcher league, I would start bidding. I would start bidding on Contreras and Grandal uh, in an only situation, only two-catcher. I want I do want to have somebody of that quality, where it's Contreras, Grandal, um, I do like Will Smith, Christian Vasquez. Those are guys I would like to own. Uh, because I'm going to pair them with somebody on the back end like a Sean Murphy, Carson Kelly, Alejandro Kirk uh, to that costs less and has the upside to join my number one catcher. That's that's my catcher strategy in two catcher leagues. See, I think I definitely want to get one of Contreras and Grandal in at least a, a mixed league auction. Obviously, they're in opposite leagues. So if I'm in a mono league, they're definitely my number one target at the position relative to cost. 
it could fall apart pretty quickly. I mean, if you're in an AL-only auction and you're in a room with someone that's willing to go a couple bucks over on Grandal, you don't have it, you don't want to do it, you got to have a backup yeah. plan. So it's important to know how these pieces come together. I, I know you've liked Sean Murphy a lot in the past. So I, I've kind of got this big cluster of Christian Vasquez, Dalton Varsho, Sean Murphy, Austin Nola, and then Gary Sanchez who came up before, and James McCann. And all six of those guys go between pick 145 and about pick 175. So you only got about two full rounds separating the top of the group from the bottom of the group. Vasquez kind of a late breakout guy at the plate. I think there was some skepticism about him going into the shortened season, and he really answered the questions about whether or not 2019 was real to the best of his ability in a 60-game season last year. He backed it up pretty well. But Murphy, man, the A's, I've said this before, they've got a great group of catchers behind him. If they wanted to play Jonah Heim or Austin Allen a bit more and take some playing time away from Sean Murphy, it wouldn't be malpractice for them to do it. But uh, I think some people look at Murphy as maybe a guy that could get to 110 or 120 games. I'm curious, do you see him getting the volume to pair with those interesting skills? Uh, that's a good question because I was about to say I love him on skills, right? <laughs> like he's a barreler. He's he's proved it uh, in two two short seasons. Um, I love the power. I believe in it. He's my favorite name um, at the bottom of this sort of. Uh, we have it right now for fifteen team one catcher, and he's exactly replacement level by projections. I would absolutely. Uh, pick him. I would love to pick him as my catcher late in a 15-team one-catcher league. That That's where my eyes go. Sean Murphy with a backup plan of Austin Nola, perhaps. Uh, that's 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 who I like in that area. In terms of playing time, you know, I do know that the pitchers really love throwing to Jonah Heim, uh, something I've heard from multiple pitchers. And so, you know, maybe there could be something where he gets a personal catcher situation, Heim does, or um, in certain games, they, they feel like they just need his presence behind the mound. Uh, but uh, the athletics mostly seem to value offense, you know? And so I think that they will take Sean Murphy's offense as often as they can. I think he'll have a fairly good volume this year. He draws plenty of walks. He hits the ball hard, and he hits the ball hard barreling it up as well. And the framing, at least from Savant, is near the middle of the pack, 57th percentile. So you're not giving up a lot defensively to get that potential offensive boost. Uh, if if the guys behind him weren't as interesting as they are, I think I would like Sean Murphy even more. I think he's fine where he goes, but not without risk, which is the case of most players who go in that 150 range and beyond. Austin Nola, a great story, I think, from... Just the simple fact that he is a late breakout player as well. Was a little surprised to see him included in the deal between the Mariners and Padres last season. He is already 31 years old. Statcast numbers all look really good. Barrel rate jumped up in the shortened season. Is he going to follow this up with a full season close to what we just saw in 2020? How much can we trust his shortened season? Yeah, I absolutely like him. I mean, I guess there's a little bit of playing time risk because they also went and got Victor Caratini. And between the two of them, there's just a sort of question of defensive ability, sort of standard catching stuff. Because Caratini was the kind of guy that the Cubs would DH, you know, to get his bat in the lineup, but um, not necessarily push Contreras off of catching, which is saying something, too, because Contreras is not the most amazing d defensive catcher himself. So uh, there are some defensive questions that could go either way on, on uh, Nola and Caratini. Um, but, um, I just, I, I like that jump from like a sort of slightly below average league, uh, league average barrel rate, uh, to, uh, you know, 8% last year, it's 129 batted balls we're talking about. So it's, you know, a much bigger sample than, than other guys. Um, and, uh, everything lines up to where, you know, you can call him a stat cast darling. It's not. Um, a guy that has like Teoscar Hernandez style uh, Statcast stats, but uh, it's because of the Statcast that I believe in him. And you know, I think that the reported, you know, the the reporting on him too was that he like everyone was just amazed that he was like, hey, I'm going to learn how to catch, and then did it and was good. Yeah, 
He's done a really nice job carving out a significant role, at least to begin the season. But I think he's a big part of their plans throughout. And certainly a guy that you feel even better about if we get confirmation of the universal DH in the NL. Because I don't think you have Caratini pushing him nearly as much for playing time if you can just move Caratini over to the DH role when you want to use him. Or you know, use Nola himself as a DH on occasion to give him some rest from work behind the plate. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Reddick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash. Or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant. Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man of the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. I want to go back to Gary Sanchez just for a minute because you you mentioned something about how defenses can play him because of his terrible speed. There's no other way to put it. Is he still with those flaws, thinking about the power that he brings, the lineup he plays in, the likely share of playing time he's set to get? Is Gary Sanchez undervalued? Regardless of whether he's undervalued, he's the kind of player that you really have to think about making sure you get a batting average counterweight to offset him. Because if the batting average ceiling or more likely sort of ceiling for him is 230, 240 with a chance that you get 210, 220, something like that, you do want to have a plus batting average guy somewhere else in your lineup just to offset some of that damage. Yeah, I mean, he's just a, a heck of a risk. And it's not just like, oh, he might hit 220. Like He hit 186 in 374 plate appearances in 2018. And he had 147 last year in 178 plate appearances. So the risk is the batting average starts with a one. Um, to me, I, I think I think I'll get away without making a bad decision. It is a bad decision to put someone on a no draft list. I think, you know, just to say I will not draft this person, right? Because then you might then he might just plummet in a you're in a bunch with a bunch of Yankee fans, right? And he just pl- and they're all hating on him, and he just plummets. <laughs> You know, and then you just get a guy, maybe even an OBP league or something. You might get a guy who has like a 310, 320 OBP and knocks 30 homers out for you, you know. Uh, and you might get him for super cheap if everyone hates on him. So I would not put him on a no draft list. But um, to me, he's just not in the sweet spot of me where I believe in him enough to pay money for him. You know what I'm saying? Like to actually invest in him. Um, and I also just don't think he'll show up around Sean Murphy. You know what I mean? So it's like I'd have to put a little bit of money in for a little bit more upside. I don't know. I, d- I don't see the the math working out. I'd rather pay if if the price is the same. Like what's the what's the price ADP wise for Gary Sanchez versus Sean Murphy? Fifteen picks difference. Murphy goes around earlier. I would pay that round to get Murphy. I guess that's that's what I'm saying. If it drops more, if Gary Sanchez drops more, and we're talking about three, four, five rounds. Yeah, so if, right. Sanchez, come on down. So if Sanchez falls into the next group that we get to, then I think maybe you're interested at that that discount. All right, that, that's totally fair. Is uh, there a max and min on him? Yes, there in is. Gary Sanchez. I'm sure wild, more wildly different than Murphy, I bet. Min since January 1st, 134. Max, 215. Murphy, yeah, 132, 188. So... Only about 56 yeah. between so, the see two. See there, that 215 pick. That's when I'm like, ah, okay. Like in your average league, 
in that in that league, if you in if you take the Mur- average pick for Murphy and then you're in that league with a two fifteen, you're talking about two three rounds of difference. Yeah. And if I don't, ha- if I missed out on Murphy and I went two two rounds and Sanchez is still there, boom, he's on my team. Last player in this group, James McCann, has a new team. He's a Met. Good lineup. Uh, more playing time than he had last year with the White Sox. Obviously, the addition of Yasmani Grandal was going to cap how much he could be in the lineup last season. The year before they brought in Grandal, 118 games, 476 plate appearances, and that was a pretty clear rebuilding sort of year for the White Sox, but McCann handled it pretty well. 273, 328, 460 for the slash line. The K rate did jump with the extra playing time. It was up at 28.8%. So maybe a little bit of a hole that was found by opposing pitchers. But if you knew you were getting that, you'd take it. The problem is projections are quite a bit lighter across the board. I mean, the bat X that we're looking at right here, 238, 299, 396. So even if you get the playing time that McCann had with the White Sox in 2019, now that he's with the Mets, you're probably looking more like 50 plus runs and 50 plus RBIs, you know, 15, 16 home runs and reasonably low average for the position it's not bad and i don't think he's given up more than one start in every four games does that seem like a fair sort of playing time projection so he's not very exciting to me because i don't think he can get any better than he's been but i also don't think what we saw in 2019 was a complete fluke from him either yeah and you know what i do in my head is to be like okay my catcher is going to hit 240 with 16 homers (laughs) That's what I do in my head. <laughs> and I and so that projection doesn't scare me at all because I'm like, yeah, okay, he's a catcher. What I like of that is that I do I do think that the uh the arrow points to more upside beyond that. And I think that probably what's going on with that bad X projection, um, although it's very in line with most other projections, is a, a park factor situation. Um there's some pretty wildly differing opinions on the Mets park factor. Um, and so that might be sapping a lot of the power out of these projections. Um, because when I look at his stat cast only board, I, I'm not, uh, I'm not, uh, I, I'm fine with it. You know, he had a 9.2% barrel rate in 2019. It went down to 8.7. That was the 9.2 was kind of a high watermark, but 8.7 is good too, you know? So I think the guy can barrel the ball. Um, I think despite his strikeout rates, um, you know, he's shown some ability. Uh, to, he has a bit of a hit tool. Um, he's not he's not Gary Sanchez out there. Um, so uh, yeah, James McCann is someone I would obs- I would I would I would lump into um, a group of late catchers that would like in a mono league. Um, you know, McCann, Nola, Murphy. And Kelly, that's that's a group that I would pick out of um, at the end of a, a mono league, uh, not a mono league, a, a, a one catcher league. All right, it's really interesting because Carson Kelly, who you mentioned, comes at a discount, so he might be one of your kind of boring targets this season. If you look at the next cluster, which kind of doubles as a case against two catcher leagues, uh, these are guys outside the top twelve at the position, but kind of in the thirteen to eighteen range. We got Mitch Garver. Just after pick 200, a bit of a drop before you get to Jorge Alfaro around pick 240. Then you've got Posey, Carson Kelly, Alejandro Kirk, whom you mentioned earlier, all between 250 and 260, and Yadier Molina currently looking for a team at 283. I think if Molina had a team, he'd probably kind of close the gap on Kirk, Kelly, and and Posey based on the projections at this point. Uh, so of that group, is Kelly actually the guy you like the most, or is there a reason to believe that maybe Mitch Garver can rebound from an injury shortened shortened 2020 season and show us something close to what we got from him in 2019 when he had that massive breakout. Yeah, I mean the projections uh, kind of peg him in between the two. Uh, Garver, he's got a, a 200 ISO projection basically from every system, and he had a 357 ISO in 2019 and a .097 ISO last year when he just did not hit for power. But I I make my my bigger point here. Mitch Garver projection, 230, 16 homers. <laughs> Carson Kelly projection, 230, well, maybe 240, maybe 14 homers. <laughs> you know, that's, that's, uh, that's why I hate catchers. So I, if you just resign yourself to getting 240 and 16 homers, 
then your world is free. You're free to do whatever you like. You'll just have to get a catcher at the end of the draft. <laughs> I mean, eventually, in a one-catcher league, you're going to be okay. In a two-catcher league, I think you can you get a run into those trouble. traps we talked about earlier where you can actually hurt your lineup throughout the season uh, if you miss badly you on skills and playing guns. And that is a little bit of a problem with Kirk. I think Kirk, I might be more willing to take as my last catcher in a one-catcher league because what I'd be doing is saying... I'm taking this guy for upside. If he doesn't play, I'm going to drop him and pick up whatever catcher wasn't drafted that, that seems to be playing well. Right. And I think there's enough pop-up guys. Catcher is often like, you know, the the the, the offense peaks later for catchers. Uh, they just, as 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 players, they, they peak later. So I think there's usually a Mitch Garver-esque pop-up player at some point in the season. Um, just a player that no one really expected to be that good. So I would take Alejandro Kirk in a one-catcher league uh, for the upside. He's got a $7 projection, which would put him right by Will Smith. So, hey, take that upside. But in a two-catcher league, when I have to actually pay Alejandro Kirk, and I'm not sure he's even going to play, like, he may not be he may not be my labor catcher, but he might be my uh, great fantasy baseball invitational catcher. You know what I mean? Those are just two different kinds of leagues. Um, and, uh, so that's what, that's what I, that's why I think about Kirk. I, I really like his upside, but his floor is, is, is not in the league. He could be back in the minors again. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about a guy that didn't play above a ball high a as a prospect before debuting last year. And yes, he handled himself very well. It was a very limited sample in the big leagues. I, I don't think, I don't think things look good for, I don't think things are good for Alejandro Kirk if they add George Springer in Toronto. Because if they add Springer, that bumps Gritchick to a corner. If Gritchick's playing a corner, that means Teoscar Hernandez is going to DH a lot. And maybe the trickle down there is that Vlad plays oh, my boy, Rowdy. More third. And then Kevin Biggio play plays Vlad second. Third so they can get Rowdy. And they got to get Rowdy in the lineup, man. I love Rowdy. But if you add a guy like Springer who's going to be in your lineup every day, it's very bad for Alejandro Kirk as a very young player who eventually could take the job away from Danny Jansen. I think you could make a pretty good argument that Danny Jansen needs to hit and play good defense to keep his job all season. But I do think he's the guy for most of the first two months at least before they make a change. So they could just go Jansen-McGuire again to start the season if the position's a total black hole. Kirk could take over and, and end up getting four months as the primary catcher. That that can happen. But in those two months where he's not playing or when he gets sent down, you either got to cut him or you got to stash him. And I think more likely you're going to cut him in most formats. Yeah, because aforementioned, he's a catcher disease. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> Have I gotten across how much I hate catchers? <laughs> I've tried to say many times, let's just get to the single catcher league with the two UT spots and people fight me every time I put it out there. So I don't know. I think it's a better way to play. Who are some like deep guys you like? I, I don't even, I don't even really like it. I'm looking at Luis Torrance. He's got a, for his career, he's got a 1.9% barrel rate. I don't know. You have to, I think you have to, if you like Luis Torrance, you really have to, you have to stare hard at an average exit velocity in 56 batted balls last year. And I'm just, I'm not that into it. I think mostly you're just hoping he plays a lot and he just is a passable accumulator behind the plate. That's more or less what I see with Luis Torrens. He's probably the cheapest player of interest for me after pick 300. His ADP is close to 500, so he goes undrafted sometimes, even in two catcher leagues that are pretty deep. Uh, Francisco Mejia, we talked about him at the time that the Rays acquired him. I think he's pretty interesting. ADP. Got some hit tool. It's going to tick up. 462 is the ADP since January 1st. He's probably going to get closer to the back of the top 300. I, I could see him being kind of the next guy after Molina once we get closer to opening day. Uh, and I, I think there's reason to like him. At the time of the trade, I mentioned that in 2019, the second half of the season, he was an above-average catcher, or above-average league-wide hitter at the catcher spot. That's pretty interesting. He can be a source of batting average from the catcher spot. That's pretty good by comparison when the field hits 230 or 240, and he's not without power as well. So I do think Mejia is pretty interesting. We'll see where the price stops. I'm still in if he's going around pick 300. If he gets up into the 250 range, that might be a little too steep for me, and I'm probably looking elsewhere. Do you have anybody like, I mean, Omar Narvaez had one of the worst seasons in the big leagues 
in his first season with the Brewers. And I thought maybe the move into Milwaukee was going to enable him to sustain the power growth we saw in 2019. I didn't think it was going to bring him to another level because I think there was some some good luck mixed in with a, a really specific approach. He pulls the ball for power and then hits the ball very weakly the opposite way as his ability to kind of defend the zone with two strikes. A 59 WRC plus, though, in his first season with the Brewers. They've got a pile of catchers. Manny Pena, Luke Maley, Jack, uh, Jacob Nottingham. Uh, I think they still actually have a fifth catcher on the 40-man, but not really a factor for Narvaez. This is going to hit 22 home runs in 2019. You know, he hit 278 while doing it. He's a career 267, 355, 398 hitter. Less power than you're hoping for, but those are pretty good skills that would keep him in the lineup, especially if he sustains some of the defensive gains that we saw from him in the shortened season. Yeah, we're also getting to the point where we're throwing darts uh, when you're talking about Narvaez, I think. Right. I mean, we're not we're not talking about a an outlay. You're talking about probably a uh, single digit second catcher in an only league. Yeah, probably six seven bucks at five, most in an NL only okay, league. Hopefully five, six less. Bucks, I was yeah. thinking. Yeah. So, so there. Uh, I like him. A name that I like um, on that level, I think, is Max Stassi. Um, the the Savant page uh, lights up for Stassi. The reason he will be that cheap is because they signed Kurt Suzuki, and Kurt Suzuki's um, bat is projected to be slightly better. But I think Stassi also has the chance to maybe put it all together. Uh, he had 11% barrel rate last year. He had a 14% barrel rate in limited time in 2017. There's, there's just like, you know, there's enough sort of like good news when you look around that you're like, oh, if he did all these things at the same time, um, like basically what he did last year looks doable again. Um, and if he does that for a full season, he's going to be absolutely a breakout candidate and they won't care that they have Kurt Suzuki on staff. He'll, Kurt Suzuki will be the backup and Kurt Suzuki spent, uh, spent, uh, you know, they got a $1.5 million contract that could be just a backup deal. Um, so I'm hoping uh, that people saw that Kurt Suzuki sa- that signing and are uh, pushing Max Stassi down because uh, I know that the projection calculator is doing it because they're giving Kurt Suzuki 45% of the playing time. But I that could be the probability, like the probabilities could end up that way, 55-45. But it's more likely that I think that one of them takes the ball and becomes a 70% starter. And to me, that's Stassi. So... You're, you're Navarez, my Stassi. That's, that's kind of like, uh, I see them as somewhat equivalent, interesting, um, and different league, kind of only league second catchers. Maybe parachute options in a 15-team league with two catchers, guys that could play a bit more than the projections expect and keep you afloat in the category. I think as long as Stassi's hip is okay, he actually had surgery to repair a labrum in his hip then he can take over at least two-thirds of the playing time. I would agree with you that Suzuki at this point of his career probably profiles a lot more as a backup, but he's at least a guy that's capable of starting in the short term if Stassi's not ready to begin the season. That's probably a big part of why they signed him. Didn't Stassi have that surgery going into last season? No, he had it in October. Yeah, well, it's not good news. It's not good news, but uh, I think that just makes him cheaper. And, and and to be honest, like the cheap catchers, just they don't light me up. Like I, uh, the cheap, what, like one uh, one catcher or fifteen, you know, fifteen team one catcher one. I love those guys. Sean Murphy, cards like the, those guys I was talking about earlier. I love them. The cheap uh, catchers that go beyond that, like I'm saying, I don't love Torrance. I don't love Alfaro. Uh, Stassi, I, I got some love for Jeffers. I have some love for, but he's behind Garver, and I think that he's pretty solidly behind Garver. So Nino, I just feel like the Rays are just looking to hand that to somebody. So I would actually be more interested in Mejia than Zanino next year because I think the, the Rays made that trade kind of looking for a new catcher. Yeah, I think they did too. I think Jeffers is pretty interesting if Garver goes into a prolonged slump because I think Jeffers is good enough to be a starter, but I believe enough in Garver to not think that Jeffers is going to be more than a part-time guy this year. So I, I like both of their catchers. I think it's a really good spot to be in. I know it led some Twins writers to wonder if maybe Mitch Garver would get traded this offseason. I guess it's still possible, but 
Uh, I think it would happen sooner rather than later if a team is going to upgrade the position. You want to make sure you have that player in place once spring training rolls around. Uh, I think Adley Rutschman's a guy people would ask a lot of questions about ADP kind of in the 500 range right now. What's your ETA for him? I mean, for all prospects, we're looking at a lost year for anybody who didn't get to play in games. And with the Orioles still being pretty deep in their rebuild, not wanting to start the clock this year, certainly something that they have to think about. Uh, but do you see do you see Rutschman actually coming up just when he's ready, or do you think the Orioles find excuses to not bring him up at all in 2021? Yeah, I think that they uh, they find excuses to not bring him up because what they'll be doing is showcasing their uh, main two catchers that they've got, which you know they don't seem amazing. Chance Cisco is 25. Um, and has one above average season with the bat so far, projected to be about league average. That's actually pretty good for a catcher. Uh, Pedro Severino is 27, um, had his best year with a 94 WRC+. plus. Those are actually both assets. That's the problem. That's the problem with getting too far down the, the, the line with Adley Rutschman is that the, the guys that they have are good. Uh, I mean, they're not good good their catcher good but <laughs> uh, uh i think that between the two of them they would be trying to kind of um grow in a petri dish some trade value right and then and then trade whoever you know has some trade value at the end of the season and then rutschman uh starts getting some real buzz in uh, 2022 i think the other player that fits into this conversation he's not nearly as high ceiling of a player but he's also a prospect and we did get to see a little bit of this guy in 2020 is tyler stevenson i think he could maybe flip the balance of playing time in cincinnati in 2021 even if it's more tucker barnhart than tyler stevenson to begin the season i don't really expect it to end that way and i think stevenson will play enough even when they're sharing to begin the year to where you can actually consider him as a second catcher in deep mixed leagues yeah and stevenson's had you know, plenty of run-up. Like, th- this has been coming for a while. Like, Adley Rutschman, you know, played at A-ball before everything got shut down in the minor leagues. Stevenson got to double-A and was in, like, the Futures game and stuff. Like, you know, Stevenson's a guy. We saw him at the AFL. He's he's ready to go. And I was just looking at Tucker Barnhart's numbers, and they were terrible last year. I mean, uh, aside from the barrel rate, which... I don't know, it's still not a lot of balls in play, but he put 70 balls in play, and his hard hit rate by StatCast was 18%. I mean, I don't even know how you could get a 7% bail rate and have an 18% hard hit rate. He must have just, when he did hit the ball hard, the five times he hit it hard all year, oh, he hit the ball hard 13 times, and five of them were barrels. That's how you do it. But that's that's not something I bet on long-term. And, and his barrel rate for his career is 2.2%. So I just think... I think that Barnard is looking like a bad offensive catcher. And that team surprisingly needs offense. I mean, they've spent a lot of money on offense, and they still need offense. So I think Tyler Stevenson could do that. I would be, again, in a two-catcher league, a little bit um, a little bit risky and uh, acid reflux-inducing to put Tyler Stevenson as one of your catchers, I feel like. But in a two-catcher monoleague situation, you could do it as one of your uh, prospect investments, right? Even if it's a redraft league. You do this thing where you buy Tyler Stevenson for $3, you end up having to put him on your bench to begin the season because he's uh, in the minor leagues. But you bought a pretty good bat for $3 and you go and you know just go get whatever catcher is playing at all uh, and put him in your second slot. It's I could see it being... A, a good way to finish a season where you know you 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 hang around the top and then you're like oh now I get to get rid of my second catcher and I get Tyler Stevenson's second half and and that that's going to really push the team so um, it's not a bad plan uh, I, I could see it working I, I wonder who's going to catch in Philadelphia if it's not Real Muto <laughs> they would be in a pretty bad spot I mean Andrew Knapp I think is next on the depth chart. I can't imagine they want Nap and honestly don't know their backup off the top of my head. Jason Castro maybe there. Yeah, there could be a signing. There could be a signing. They're they're the kind of they're the kind of team that would rather have a major league veteran. But I just wanted to bring it up because it, there's a it's a little bit like Stevenson where Marshawn uh, Rafael Marshawn has played his way 
to the cusp of the major leagues and offers some offensive upside, if mostly just from the fact that he won't strike out that much. Um, so kind of like an Omar Narvaez light um, could be coming uh, with Rafael Marchand. But I would put off my drafts as long as possible this year because we don't even like they're talking about you know pushing off the league uh, pushing off the start of the season a little bit already uh plus we already know that like the the entire free agent market has been pushed further and further so like they're going to be like real free agent signings in march and it's going to be difficult i'm a little more optimistic about things starting to pick up in the last couple of weeks i think maybe we'll get some more momentum here in the next two to three weeks and not have some of the key players still hanging around out there after pitchers and catchers are scheduled to report, assuming they report on time. But I I do think there's usually a lot of research-based advantage to drafting early for draft and holds in different formats. If you do the kinds of work that we do, I feel like the weirdness of 2020 paired with the slow moving player offseason has made that advantage more difficult to, to exploit. I, I think it's it's reduced that quite a bit. So I would agree with you. Waiting to draft this year is a, a good idea, uh, especially if you're just not feeling quite right. Just let it let it go for a few more weeks. It'll still be there when the time comes. Uh, Joey Bart's another name that kind of comes up in the prospect group. I know with Buster Posey coming back after opting out last season, and then Kirk Casale signing on as a backup. We've seen the headlines that Bart's going to open the year in the minors. How long does it take him to come up and find a role? I mean, he's another one of those players where if you if you know that there's going to be a universal DH, you can you can find a path a little bit easier than if there isn't. Yeah, I mean that would be that would be. Um... A reasonable conclusion to make given this shape of last season, I think. You know, just that teams are going to reach further into their minor league system to replace injury, COVID. Like, we may have a start to the season that looks a little bit like the NBA right now, where they're losing games, you know? And if you're losing games and you're losing people to COVID, you're going to get some you're going to get some people starting games and playing in games that you wouldn't have expected to otherwise, you know? Um, like, just think of what the Marlins had to do to put together a team at that point. And I don't even know who played for them in those days because Marlins, but <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure there were some interesting uh, decisions that just went, went down that those days. So, like, yeah, uh, I think that there will be... Uh, a conversation you could have in all of your leagues about the size of your rosters and the size of your DL and how what changes you made last year and what it's going to port over and how much of that you want to do because there is the risk then also that like let's say you have the extra six DL spots that you did last year and you extra five roster spots and then we have like a mostly normal season and the the guy wins who just stacked all the injured guys on a steel slot on the, you know, the day after the draft was like, went out and just picked up all the DL guys and stacked them up and, and, uh, and, you know, rode the second half to, to a win, which is not what you want to do when you create six DL slots. You're not like trying to, you know, really give people a chance to, to hoard talent at the beginning of the season. So, uh, <laughs> even making those decisions you could put off, right. Uh, until as long as possible. But, then we'll all be uh, drafting like 25 leagues on the day before the season starts. Well, I, I think you do want to keep some of the things we, we learned from the shortened season in mind in that you want to have some flexibility with your rules. I think you're right to point out the NBA and the NHL have had a lot of issues postponing games and with breakouts within teams. And it would be naive to think that even though baseball went through it and for the most part when you have you know, the Marlins and Cardinals having pretty big breakouts and then Justin Turner being removed from the final game of the World Series due to a positive test relative to what we're seeing early on in those winter sports seasons. That's actually a lot less activity than we expected mm-hmm. going into the shortened season. It'd be naive to assume that just because they've done it reasonably well over a 60 game season when the pandemic in America wasn't as bad as it is right now that they're going to come back and 
have a similar level of success. You should expect more problems as opposed to less or the same number of problems. But there's just so much we don't know. I mean, it, it could also be the fact that the that they did better could be related to the fact that it's more of an outdoor spo- sport and it's more of a summer sport. Um, where there's obviously a seasonality uh, to to COVID, right? It it, it follows um, kind of flu flu based uh, seasons. Um, so so maybe they would be better off just because the weather will be getting warmer and they play outside, uh, and it's a more of a summer sport. So. If you ask me, that there might be uh, a reason within that logic, that string of logic, to get the season started <laughs> and not push it mm-hmm. off, you know, because you don't want to be playing in November. Uh, just look at uh, in December. Just look at what the winter sports are doing. So uh, things get spun in different directions all the time, and it's it's kind of hard to know what the hard data says, especially since we're learning so much about it. There was so, there were so many countries that did the right thing at the beginning and we seem to point to them and say they did the right thing and then uh winter came and you know they struggled like everybody else so um i think that the more i read the more i don't know (laughs) on this subject i'm kind of like this is crazy um and so i'm going to just kind of prepare as if the season will start on time and will be 162 games and we'll look mostly like a normal season and people have also asked this am i operating assuming we get universal dh again or not i am operating under the assumption that we will with respect to playing time for national league teams and with respect to my expectations for ratios in the nl like that's where i'm at currently obviously we're still waiting for the final word but the yo-yoing of pitchers going back to hit for a year before possibly not having them hit ever again after the new CBA seems pretty weird. And I think teams are going to be thinking a lot about the possibility of the attrition that we're talking about right now and saying, actually, yeah, we we really don't want to also add the risk of pitchers getting hurt, swinging the bat and running the bases on top of all the other health risks that are already associated with playing right now. Yeah, yeah, I I I I feel a momentum. It's more of an intuition um, because we don't we're not getting many updates, right? We're not we're not getting a look into like we got kind of breathless updates when it came to how many games they were going to play and that sort of contentious negotiation that went down last year. We're not getting that same uh, we're not getting that same insight as to what's happening right now. We do know that they have to that it's between the players and owners to decide about uh, the DH. So that's why it's gonna. That's why it's taking so long. It's not something that Manfred can really unilaterally uh, uh, throw down, and so um, that's why we're, they're waiting on it. But I do think that it. I think we'll have a DH. I don't. I think that once you make a change like that, you just keep going. And if we do have a DH in the NL, it was pretty obvious last season that um, some people hadn't made the adjustment on NL pitchers uh, enough. And in their ranks and in their projections, and that in mixed leagues, uh, AL pitchers were um, the right choice a lot of times, all when all things were equal, because people weren't looking at the right numbers necessarily for National League pitchers. So, if that continues, if we have the DH again, that might continue again next year. And so, you have to really look at when you take an NL pitcher. There you have it. That's where we think things stand right now, both at the catcher position, which. Knowing how things typically go down, JT Riamuto will sign between the time that uh, I finish talking and the time that anyone hears this. <laughs> we so, get to put this out. <laughs> fingers crossed. Let's speak that one into existence. Uh, in the meantime, if you're enjoying our show and could take a minute to leave us a nice rating and review, we would greatly appreciate that. It goes a long way toward helping uh, new listeners who might enjoy the pod actually finding it in the App Store and elsewhere. So thank you to the many of you who've left us a rating and review. We really appreciate that. If you don't have a subscription to The Athletic at this point, you can get one for $3.99 a month to start. Go to theathletic.com slash rates and barrels on Twitter. He's at Eno Saris. I am at Derek Van Riper. Our positional preview series continues. We are back with you on Wednesday. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.